it's kind of exciting uh, to see you guys here and to, to see the faces uh, that we haven't seen in a long time. And, and I know that a lot of you, you're here because you want to you wanna honor uh, the Karras family, which, which I think is huge. And I think, man, what a, what a privilege it is, what, what an honor it's been. And, and so at the end of the service, we're going to pray for them. Um, and, and I just want to mention, if you missed it in the beginning, uh, stick around uh, after the service down in the chapel. Uh, we would love as many people, because I know there's a lot of food. Uh, we would love as many of you as, as have the time to stick around just to, just to celebrate and honor you guys. Uh, so, so very excited about that. Um, there, there's a question that was kind of going through my mind uh, as, I, as I talk with people, as I interact with people. And, and if, you're, if you're like me, uh, you, know, you know people who are sort of in that category of Christian and, and they're amazing. You, you know some people who, who they, they check that box of I'm a Christian and, and they're just good people. Uh, if, if you're like me, though, you also know people who check the box of Christian, but at the end of the day, the way that they live their lives isn't really that different from somebody who would leave that box unchecked. In fact, you've probably even seen people who would say, I intentionally don't check that Christian box because I don't want the baggage that goes with it because as a, as a non-Christian, I, I feel like I'm okay. So, so it's not necessarily enough to say the box that you check as much as it's to say who is the person that you're following. And a lot of times, if I were to really oversimplify things, I would say it comes down to, am I following myself, my desires, my wants, my hungers, my needs, am I building my life on myself, or am I actually, literally building my life on God? And I don't mean God in some amorphous force. I mean really God as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. So if you are a Christian, you are what literally means a little Christ. So does it make a difference to check a box or does it make a difference to literally build your life on someone? So, so as I was thinking about that, I had this question sort of in my mind. What did you come here expecting? What did you come here expecting? And I say here because, you know, we're a church. We're not a bowling alley. You know, we're not a garden club. So I imagine if you were going bowling, you would show up with your bowling shoes. If you were going gardening, you would show up uh, with your bag of gardening tools. I don't know, your spade, your gloves. You'd bring your seeds. So you came here this morning, you came to Hope Church, you're at home, you're sitting on your couch or you're listening from wherever you are, you carved out space and time, and you are a part of our service this morning. Why did you come here? What did you come here expecting to see? You might be curious, you might be wondering, what's this God thing, what's this Jesus thing? You might be here because it's Paul's last Sunday, the Karis's last Sunday, Kim, and, and, and you love them. They're an amazing family and you wanna be here to support them. You might be here because Danan was here and man, Danan, he's awesome. You might be here because you're going through something really hard in your life and there's this thing inside of you that says, I need more than what I currently have. You might be here this morning because you are on cruise control. You are on religious autopilot, and I go to church, usually if I get up on time, because it's Sunday, right? I mean, it's kind of lousy outside. I can't golf. 
can't go for a hike, so I'm going to hit up church, and then maybe I'll go out afterwards. Why are you here? What did you come here expecting to see? See, having, I know, I know I don't look that terribly, terribly old, but I've been in ministry a while, and I've seen a lot of things happen that are tremendously affected by whether or not you are building your life on yourself or whether or not you are building your life on Christ. And so my hope is that the reason you're here, the reason I'm here, is because we recognize the necessity of understanding who God is as as revealed in Christ, and we want to build our lives on him. What happens if you don't? What happens if you don't? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're doing this series about how God is building, about, about how we serve a God who builds. And I don't mean a God who builds cathedrals. I don't mean a God who builds uh, fancy churches. I don't need a, I mean a God who just builds big ministries. And man, if you just touch your TV screen and send me $5, God is going to build into your life. That is not the type of building that we're talking about. We're talking about a God who from the very beginning spoke into nothing and created. Created you. Created me. A God who continues to create. We're going to look at a passage of scripture where Jesus is talking about the building that God desires to do. But there there are some key things that need to take place if it's going to be a house that God's building or if it's going to be something that you're building. And, And not to ruin the ending for you, but there is a vast difference in the home God is building versus the home that you and I try to build. So I wanted to start with some construction fails, Uh, some things that when we think about building and some things, uh, if if you are handy, this would never happen to you. If you are terrible at construction, uh, you might find yourselves in a situation where you, you might build something wrong. Have you ever built something wrong? So I found a couple pictures and, and I, I think, I think we might have them. I hope we have them. Any pictures back there? Excellent. Throw it up there, Katie. Uh, so, so we've got this one. Uh, what we have here is, is a park that I'm sure was designed wonderfully, and yet when they decided to install benches, uh, they did not account for the fence. Okay, so that was one. How about another one? Uh, That's that a security camera. That I, I don't know what went up the wall or the camera, but um, now none of these were taken at our church. None of these are from the great town of Wilton. Uh, but, but this is one of those things where um, you, should, you should consider what you're doing before you finish. And, and then the third one. Uh, so, that, so that might be a little hard for you to see, but there's a chimney uh, that goes through, and, and they thought, hey, let's, let's put a window up right here because, because nothing helps property value like a room with a view. And so, so what they've done is at some point they, there was a misunderstanding uh, there was a miscommunication. Now, um, we sort of laugh at that, but if it were your house, if your husband did that, or if your contractor did that, uh, you, you would not be in, in a good mood. You, you wouldn't be in a good place. So we get to have a good laugh at it. And, and when we think about construction error, there's a difference uh, between uh, user error and tragedy, right? Like sometimes, uh, like what happened down in Florida, with the collapse of that apartment building. Right now, where they're trying to parse is, is it, is it, uh, is it user error? Is it construction error that, that things were done wrong? Or is it tragedy? 
that there are some things that, that honestly the storm is so large that it doesn't matter what you do, it's impossible to prepare for it. And so we see very real world examples with, with physical spaces, physical buildings, physical things, your house. Uh, I remember uh, in our house in New Jersey, because of the soil uh, and, and the way that the soil is where we used to live, that when it rains a lot, the water moves through the soil and we had a basement that was prone to flooding. And, and there were things that could have been done, but when uh, Hurricane Sandy came through and it was this massive uh, downpour and all of this rain that came through, my wife and I found ourselves at two o'clock in the morning uh, bucketing water out of our basement. Could we have blamed someone for that? Nowadays, I'm sure you could. But the reality is, is that sometimes the storm is of such great magnitude that, that it is difficult to prepare for that storm. But yet, if there was a project that my wife said, hey, you really should replace the sump pump because it's old, it's been a while, and if I didn't do that, and then at 2 o'clock in the morning, we're doing buckets, I would not have had my wife's sympathy. I wouldn't have had her affirmation and, wow, Don, you're working hard, you're doing great. It would have been, Don, you're an idiot. I told you to replace the pump and you didn't do it. So it's happened. So, so there's a difference, right, between user error and, and tragedy. So, so what is your life built on and how well is the construction of your life equipped for the storm? What is your life built on and how well is the construction of your life equipped for the storm. You don't have to be brilliant in politics or brilliant in the news or social media or any of these things to say that the past year and a half have seen a number of storms come to a head. We've seen uh, economic storms, racial storms, political storms, financial storms. You have seen storms in your family. You have watched as individuals have gotten sucked in more and more into social media and you have lost touch with them because they've gone down the rabbit hole. And they are pulling out conspiracy theories and stories and ideas that they continue to find. Online, it showed up, it must be true. And then they forward it and they like it and they get pulled in. You've seen people who, because they haven't had to go to work, they have withdrawn from real relationships. People who, because they haven't been able to go to church or be in a small group, they've, they've lost some relational aspects. People who have been displaced, people who have wrestled through all sorts of things. You've seen some storms come up. I've seen stress in marriage, stress in families, stress in jobs. I've literally seen people's homes fall because they haven't been able to cope with the storms that have been going on. You, I bet, have seen relationships ended in your life. Either someone ended a relationship with you or you ended it with them or you unfollowed them or you stopped buying their products or you stopped listening to their, to their service or message. I, I guarantee you have seen people who have experienced a storm over this past year and a half, maybe even longer, and their house fell. Well, maybe it's because they put the chimney in front of the window. Maybe it's because they put the fence in front of the, the bench. Maybe it's because they put the wall in front of the camera. Maybe there are aspects to the choices that they've made 
And now that it's happened, you can kind of go back and you can assess and evaluate and say, yeah, here's where they really disconnected or here's where they stopped practicing confession of, of revealing their sin and struggle to somewhere else. Here's when they stopped coming to small group. Here's when they stopped going to church. Here's when they stopped giving. Here's when they stopped serving. Here's when they stopped reading their Bible and doing devotions. Here are the things, the choices that might have contributed and it's really hard to kind of go back and figure that stuff out. But what isn't hard is to see the mess. It isn't hard to say that there used to be a beautiful home there. And now it's gone. There used to be an amazing person who was social and vibrant. And now it's gone. They used to be so happy. And now they're not. Why? What you're building your life on matters. What you're using to build matters. One of the tremendous, uh, I guess, blessings of this area, and every blessing has a, has a, has a back end to it that's not a blessing. Uh, one of the blessings of this area is that on paper, so many of us are tremendously prepared for whatever storms may come. On paper, uh, we are the wealthiest. On paper, we are the most powerful. On paper, we have so much and want for so little. But the truth is, when you lift the shade, when you go into the home, when you go into the classroom, when you go into the private places of our hearts and lives, we struggle. Because we're alone. We're scared. We're anxious. We crave affirmation. We crave value. And what I found more and more is that we have become a people with hair triggers, that it doesn't take too much to set us off. What is your life built on? That is a question I have to wrestle with. Why? Because when the storms come, I don't want my house to fall. When the storms come, I don't want my life to fall. I want my kids to see that. I want you to see that. So why are you here? What did you come here expecting to find? Today we're talking about this simple idea that what you're building with matters. What you're building with matters. And Jesus talked about that. And so that's what we're going to look at is Jesus dealing with this very specific situation of what are you building with so that you don't end up as the guy with the chimney in his window. You don't end up as the woman with the fenced-in bench. Or even worse, your marriage goes the distance, your life goes the distance, and you don't crash and burn. So here's what I want to do. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, we're going to pick up at verse 24. And I want to switch gears just a little bit because, uh, you know, Danian reminds me with, with his uh, bridge that sometimes we go on autopilot and we stop paying attention, and it is very easy to not pay attention to me. So here's what I want to do, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, go ahead and stand up. Call this the seventh inning stretch, Matthew 7. Now I'm going to read because it would be very difficult for us to read this out loud together and not confuse each other. So I'm, I'm going to read. And, and as I read, what I want you to do is use the Bible in your hand, use the words on the screen. If you're at home, use your Bible or your Bible app. And, um, and I want you to pay attention. 
And keep in mind that Jesus is trying to have you, the listener, wrestle with the question of what are you building your life on? So I'm going to read it. I want you to look at it. And, and here's what we're going to do. Here's what it says in Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus is transitioning into a construction metaphor, construction project. Okay, verse 25. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. Everybody say fell. And great was the fall of it. Go ahead and have a seat. So, by the way, you did great. I, I, hope, I, hope, you feel, I, I hope you feel energized. And I should have said, if you're at home, you should have stood up because we want participation. Uh, so, so what does Jesus mean by words of mine? Uh, don't answer that question. I'm asking it not to actually hear your answer. I want you to think about it. What does Jesus mean by words of mine? of mine. See, we can gloss right past it. Uh, words of mine, I don't know, build on the rock, right? Build on the rock, don't build on the sand. Jesus is being very specific. He's not being dodgy. He's not being shifty. He's not trying to hide anything. Jesus is being fully transparent. Uh, these verses come at the tail end of his most famous set of talks, that if Jesus gave TED Talks, this was Jesus' most uh, significant and well-known series of TED Talks that he gave, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And over the course of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has covered a lot of topics. He's done it in pithy ways. He's done it in, in sticky ways, in catchy ways. He's, he hasn't spoken of lofty, of lofty ideas. He has gotten right down into the things that the people are living with on a day-to-day -day basis. And so Matthew chapter 7, this ending, is really him wrapping up a series of messages, a series of talks with a construction story and a simple question of, are you going to do something about all of this stuff that I just said to you? Are you going to take my words? Are you going to do something with them? Or are you going to hear them and say, that's nice, back to the real world? So what has Jesus been talking about? Well, if you were to go back, and you were to look at the things that he's been including in this talk, this Sermon on the Mount that he's been given, he has talked about things like, and I, and I made a list of, of things that he's talking about, talking about things like, like, does your life bring the flavor of Christ to others? When people interact with you, what is the dominant flavor of their interaction with you? Is it Christ? Are you the salt of the earth? Uh, does, uh, are you offering a light to others that is generated by Christ in you. You could be a city on a hill that brings light to those who are living in darkness. Are, are you a city on a hill, a light to others that's generated by Christ in you? Are, are you holding grudges? Are you stuck in anger? Have you allowed this anger that once burned really hot to sort of be uh, managed into this smoldering resentment that is under the surface that if you just poke it right, man, that flame pops out? Are you holding a grudge? Are you stuck in anger? Are you taking sin seriously in your life or are you glossing over it? 
That when you are aware of, of the presence of sin in your life, do you take it seriously or do you just sort of gloss over it? This is what Jesus is talking about. Over the course of the, the Sermon on the Mount, he's asking, are you elevating your marriage relationship so that it is a, a, a metaphor for your relationship with Jesus? Are you elevating this concept that your marriage, your relationship with your husband, your relationship with your wife, is it just sort of this contractual agreement that you find yourself in and you're just trying to make it through? Or have you elevated it as a metaphor to your relationship with Jesus? Are you loving your enemies? Are you standing by your word? Are you giving generously? Are you praying like a hypocrite or are you calling God your father? Are you living for this world or are you building his kingdom? Are you weighed down by anxiety and worry or are you really putting your trust in God? Are you being judgy? Are you praying in faith? Are you seeking the narrow gate? Are you living a life that produces fruit that reflects Jesus? So many words. So many lessons, so many blueprints, blueprints for life, blueprints for health, blueprints for being the type of man that God is building, blueprints for being the type of woman that God is building, blueprints for being a teenager that as you look ahead at the life that is in front of you, building a life that will matter, blueprints that as you find yourself in the realm of senior citizen or the tail end of your life and you're thinking, has the life that I've built mattered? Blueprints. Not in have you heard what Jesus said, but what are you doing with what Jesus said? And so Jesus, while he gives this great inspirational uh, TED talk to the people who are listening, great instruction, great motivation, Jesus is not content to draw a crowd who hears him. Jesus wants to get them to the point of saying, if you only hear my words and do nothing, well, why are you here? If you only check the box of what it is to be a Christ follower, but you don't put these things into action, why are you here? Now, keep in mind, Jesus is talking to a variety of people from a variety of backgrounds. Some were tax collectors. Some were prostitutes. Some were Pharisees. Some were nothing. They were just people who were hungry for more. So Jesus is not trying to create this monolithic political party, this monolithic movement. Jesus is just trying to say, listen, there is a God who created you. There's a God who sees you and knows you and loves for you, loves you, and, and, and who he is would surprise you if you would let him into your life. And if you do, the question remains, what will you do with my words? Why? Because you're building something. You and I, we're all building something. You're, you're, you're building Something with your job, you're building something with your family, you're building something in your singleness, you're building something in your, you're, you're building something. The question is, what are you building? What is it? You, you and I, we, we have natural resources, we have physical resources, we're surrounded by all sorts of things that we're building. Some of you, the extent of what you're building is the ability to build your thumb muscles as you scroll Instagram feeds and Facebook feeds. Some of you, you're building for that 401k. Some of you, you're building for that college sports scholarship. Some of you, you're building so that your boss will recognize you. Some of you, you're building because you want to have peace in your home. Some of you, you're building for this thing that you don't even know what it is, but you feel like you should be building something 
and you figure if I just stay busy, it'll come to me. We're all building something. We're, we're wired. God has wired us to be builders. But not all building is the same. Not all building is of equal value. So what are you building? Because the path that you're on today is taking you somewhere tomorrow. It's not rocket science. It's just truth. The path that you're on today, it's taking you somewhere and you'll find it tomorrow. And what you build with matters. Why? Because the storms are going to come. The storms are going to come. Uh, look back at, at how Jesus describes uh, this situation in verse 24. He says, he says uh, just to jump in, it will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. It didn't fall. Why? Why didn't the first house fall? Because the storm wasn't so bad? Because it was built on a rock. The house was built on a rock. And, contrast, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them, they're going to be like a foolish man or foolish woman who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat against that house, and what? It fell. And it didn't just fall. Great was the fall. Anytime you've seen a house fall, anytime you've seen a life fall, anytime you've seen an individual fall, it's always great. There is no ungrate fall. There is no minor fall. It's a great fall. Something to think about. As Jesus describes this, it's the same storm but different results. It's the same storm. He doesn't say there's one storm for the foolish idiot who built on the sand. And then there's a gentler storm for the wise person who built on the rock. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, if you are following my words, you will get a lesser storm. And when you enjoy your lesser storm, you can sort of laugh and say, well, if only they had... Follow Jesus like me. They wouldn't be experiencing this storm. No, same storm. In fact, the storm beat on the house on the rock. The rains fell on the house on the rock, just like it fell on the person who built on the sand. So it's really important for you and I to understand that it is the same storm, but different results. Why is that? Because you need to understand that as a follower of Christ, you will face storms. You have to. Because we live in a broken world. We live in a world that's riddled with sin. We live in a world that has, that has uh, produced fruit that ultimately is poisonous. It's, it's caustic. It's hard. Followers of Christ will get cancer. Followers of Christ will go through bankruptcy. Followers of Christ will go through marital stress. Followers of Christ will lose jobs. Followers of Christ will get speeding tickets. Followers of Christ will struggle through addiction. Followers of Christ, you will face storms. And anyone who tells you that if you just have more faith, well, then you wouldn't deal with that. Hasn't listened to Jesus. Same storm, different results. Your faith doesn't always stop the storm. Sometimes Jesus is in the boat and Jesus stops the storm. Hallelujah. Praise God. Cancer is turned. A job is restored. A speeding ticket is canceled because you went to court and you fought it. But very often, it's the same storm. Did only non-Christians get COVID? Did only non-Christians lose their jobs? 
Do only non-Christians go through struggles? It is very important that you and I understand that just because we are under the eternal protection of Christ for our salvation does not mean that we're immune to storms. Why does that matter? Well, it matters partly for your expectations, partly for your perspective. It also matters because the way that you build your home matters. And just because you give your life to Christ does not mean that the construction project ends. And you say, well, wow, I checked the box. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to, I don't need to keep building. I can just keep doing the things that I'm doing. That's not how this works. Faith does not stop the storm, but it influences tremendously how you build. Does your faith influence how you're building? Because how you're building matters. The foolish woman builds on herself. The foolish man builds on himself. Your strengths, your abilities, your means. But the wise man, the wise woman uses a different foundation. Well, what foundation did they use? They use Jesus' words. So here's a question. Are you investing more in self-discovery than you are in God-discovery? Have you thought about that? If you were to quantify your time, quantify your schedule, quantify all the things that you do, are you investing more in self-discovery or in God-discovery? Are you trying to figure out your personality? Are you trying to get you know, stuff at your job? Are you reading books about yourself? Are you thinking about yourself? Or are you really heavily and deeply pursuing a God-discovery? How do I do that? Are you casual in one while really intensely pursuing the other? How much time, energy, and life capital are you really using to invest in a closer walk with Jesus? I can't answer that for you. And truthfully, you might sit here and say, I don't like that question, so I refuse to process it. You could do that too. See, but Jesus, he's talking to all of us. And here's what he's trying to say. The storm will come. You will have to deal with the storm. Sometimes it's tragedy, and sometimes it's construction error. But when the storm comes, what is the difference maker between the house that stands and the house that falls? And according to Jesus, the greatest difference maker is not whether you are investing your time and collateral and skill and assets in yourself. It is whether or not you are investing what you have in the words of Jesus. That's what he says. Not in religion, not in form, not in your best self, but in a closer walk with Jesus. So, <clears throat> In the time that I have, let's say, let's say five minutes. Let's see how fast we can go. Can I, can I ask you to take three steps? Three things, okay? I'm going to go quick. Three areas. I feel like I could have you stand now and then sit down again, but I won't do that to you, okay? Here, here, here are three steps that I want to ask you to grow in that I think will make a huge difference in what this means, okay? Three steps, very simple. Number one. Get in his word. Get in his word. 
Can I make a, a confession to you? So I have my I have my Bible here this morning, and and normally when I preach, um, I, I preach with my iPad because it lets me edit and it lets me mark things. Um, can I tell you another reason why? Is because I can I can make it bigger so I can read it. And I and I you know I'm being vulnerable up here, so don't don't judge me. Um, <clears throat> but one of the reasons that that I don't stand here and um, and, and read like this with my Bible. Uh, is, is not because I, I think my iPad scripture is better. It's because, honestly, I, I'm, at times, I'm try, I, I just want to make sure I read it right because I don't want to sound like a buffoon up here uh, doing the wrong thing. So what's nice is I can, I can paste it into my notes and I have it right there and then I don't find myself flipping around saying, wait a second, where's Genesis? I, I, seem, to have, <laughs> I, I seem to have panicked and, and had a mental breakdown up here. And now I'd, Romans, oh shoot, where's Romans? Or I'll use, I, I would use uh, <clears throat> little placeholders and I would put them there and I'd be like, wait, is the red one the first one or the green one the first one? I, I don't know what to do. So, so the way that I have problem solved that is I copy and paste and I paste it right here in my notes and oh look, I can read it and it's great. <clears throat> why, why, do I, why do I confess my pastoral sin to you? Um, it, it, is, it is because uh, it would be very simple for the primary source of your life input to be what you hear on the news and what you read in your media feeds. Simplest thing. There's a narrative out there. There's a narrative on the news. There's a narrative in media. And it's that there is a storm that is coming, a storm that is here, and the best thing you can do is look out for yourself. And if anyone is contradicting your, your looking out for yourself, cancel them. Get rid of them. Don't be around them anymore. Overwhelm them. Find more people who believe what you believe and dig deep into that and roll over the rest. Or stay really busy going through things that don't matter, but invest a great amount of time in a, in a high quantity of things that don't matter. And somehow, maybe at the end of the day, you'll find some value and fulfillment. That's the narrative. Whether you're 13, whether you're 83 or 93, 103, that's the narrative. If you are not comfortable and familiarizing yourself with who God reveals himself to be, you are making up the rest. And I say that unapologetically, unequivocally. And so if you don't have a Bible, that's why we have a Bible app. You can, you can utilize that. We have Bibles in the back. Bibles on Amazon. If you can't afford a Bible, we'll give you a Bible. If you don't know where to find a Bible, we'll help you get a Bible. Why does that matter? Because if you want to build a life on more than just self-awareness, where does your knowledge of Jesus come from? It comes from Scripture. I can't invent Jesus in my own image I could try. You could find a lot of preachers who will. You could find a lot of churches that will, which is why if I'm going to tell you three ways that you can grow in building your life on Christ, Jesus doesn't say whoever builds his life on great ideas, whoever builds his life on common sense, whoever builds his life on Republican principles or Democratic principles or whoever builds his life through this, whatever. Whoever builds his life on my words. Where do you find his words? You find them in scripture. If you don't know where to start, start with the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, start there. Get to know his words. 
You thought I was going to give you complicated steps to take, three ways that you can grow. Uh, the, the Uversion Bible app, there's a reading plan in there. There's, there's different plans you can say, every day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read. If you check your feeds before you check Scripture, if you check the news before you check Scripture, if you make time for all these things but you don't make time to get into God's Word, I'm, I'm not... Don't hear me sounding critical. Just hear me telling you the truth because that's what Jesus does. It is impossible to build on the words of Jesus if you are not being equipped with the words of Jesus. It's common sense. So that was number one. Hopefully that was easy. Uh, number two, <clears throat> uh, community. Get in intentional Christ-centered community beyond a church service. Intentional Christ-centered community beyond a church service. I notice I put in there beyond a church service. You say, Don, why do you have to qualify for that? Well, because intentional Christ-centered community can't just be this. Or if you're at home watching the people that you're around right now, I love them. I'm sure you do too. But it can't just be that. Intentional Christ-centered community is where you get into life on life. Here's what's going on in my marriage. Here's what's going on with my kids. Here's what's going on with my struggle with this sin or the things that I'm dealing with. It's where the content of your heart comes out. Truth be told, I love when we gather together as a group. I, I, I love all of you. But my guess is before you leave today, you are not going to get into the contents of your heart with people. What I do is I try to roll some stuff out there that you get to interact with and you get to think about, you get to pray through. God hopefully takes that, waters it, grows it, does some stuff in your life that he wants to do. If this time, this hour and 15 hour and 20 minutes, some of you wish it was 45, that, that, that if this time is your only experience in intentional Christ-centered community, you will find it difficult to experience the fullness of God's voice in your life. The more isolated you are, the more withdrawn you are, the more disconnected you are, you will find it very, very difficult to find yourself bathing in the words of Christ. Now, if you have a group that you're in, but you don't, you don't ever get into this, well, you don't have intentional Christ-centered community. You might have community. You might, you might read some great books together. You might go on great walks together. You might have the best shared garden of any other group around. You might review movies. You might take bike rides. You might critique your spouses. There are all sorts of things that you might have until, yes, I know you don't do that, right? If you aren't getting into the sorts of things that, that take your group of like-minded people and watch it transform into intentional Christ-centered community, well, then you're missing out. And it's going to be hard for you to grow. It's going to be hard for you to have a house that's built on God's words because you have so many other things fighting for your attention, fighting to be heard. And you need a group of people who are going to help you do that. How do you do that? Well, that's why groups here are a big deal. As we're thinking about the fall, we want to launch some new groups. And I would say if you have an awareness of your need for that, you should start praying. You should start talking to someone. Either to say, hey, you know what? We should start a group or we should host a group or we should find a group. You should do that. You shouldn't come here and say, hey, give this to me. You should say, I, I want to be an active participant in what God's doing. I want to build my life, and, and I, want to, I want to do this. So you should start thinking about that now. Reevaluate some of those relationships. And then the third and final thing, <clears throat> you should serve outside of yourself. A lot of times we think that serving is something we do sort of as an extra. If I have time, I'll serve. 
if I get around to it, if I have margin, if I'm not on vacation, if we're not traveling, if we don't have a game, if we, I'll serve in that capacity. And then when I serve, it's really sort of, sort of sporadic. See, one of the reasons that serving is included in my top three is that something happens within you when you're doing something for someone else because of Jesus. When you intentionally decide to do something for someone else because of Jesus, your relationship with him takes a turn. Your relationship with him takes a twist. I can remember as a, as a teenager uh, volunteering at Bridgeport Rescue. And I can tell you as a teenager who grew up in a, in a, in, in a family in, in Stratford, a, a pretty normal middle-class type family, and then when I was serving at, at Bridgeport Rescue, God, God broadened my perspective of his kingdom work. God expanded my understanding of who he was and, and what he did. And, and where is he expanding your perspective? If you have an opportunity to work with a single mom, if you have an opportunity to greet someone who's new at the doors for the very first time and you see our church through their eyes, God will start to do something different. When you're holding someone's infant downstairs, when you are, are interacting with a bunch of high schoolers and, and, and you're, trying to, you're trying to draw them in so that they'll get off their phones and actually have a conversation with you about Jesus, you begin to view your relationship with Jesus, your relationships, with others vastly different. But if the bulk of your Christianity is spent far from the front lines, you will begin to have a view of your relationship with God that is far from the front lines. So what do you do? You choose to serve. You choose to move up. You choose to get involved. You choose to move toward the front line because that's where those things are going to be fresh in your mind. The more time that you and I spend away from the front lines, the more numb we become. And I've seen people come alive on missions trips. I've seen people come alive through service projects. I've seen people come alive through projects where they realize it's not just about me. It's actually about being God's hands and feet. So what do we do with storms? Well, I'll tell you, as you prepare for storms, you don't need more Jesus accessories. You don't need window dressing. You need a new foundation. You need a foundation that is built on something that will last, on something that will matter. Because storms accomplish two things in our lives. Storms, when they come, force us to deal with whether or not we have to correct our building technique. When the storm comes, and if you stand in the storm and you resent the storm and you fight the storm, sometimes, and I don't love storms because of this, but sometimes the back-end effect of a storm is it forces me to address my building technique. Am I building the right way because I'm going through a storm and it, and it might be bad because I've allowed it? I don't have the right technique. I don't have the right building technique. I've used the wrong materials. The other part of a storm is it reminds us of God's deep desire to be present with us in our pain. We serve a God who doesn't mock us in the storm. He doesn't taunt us in the storm. We serve a God whose deepest desire is that in the midst of the storm, your house stands because he offers you a rock to build on. That is who he is. So you may find yourself in the midst of a storm today. And who is God? God wants to be your rock. God wants to allow his words to be infused into your life in such a way so that your life is solid. Not perfect, not storm-free, not rainbows and sunshine, but it's solid. The bad news is that that doesn't happen through hearing his words. As much as I love that you're here and you're listening online, it happens when you build 
on his words. And so I guess my last question is, who or what are you building on today? Are you building on his words? Because that's the invitation from a God who builds. Let me pray. Jesus, we, <clears throat> we come to you today and we can't help but think about uh, things that we've seen in our lives, other people's struggles, our struggles, things that we've gone through that have been hard, things that we have walked other people through that have been hard, things that have broken our hearts, things that have left us sad or in grief. And we always want to look back and say, man, what, what could we have done differently? What could have been different? What could have been better? God, we, we don't want to go back and evaluate other people's pain, evaluate other people's struggle. God, God I, I desperately don't want this message to be something that's used to evaluate other people. God, I pray that you would use these words, that you'd use this message, God, to cause us to evaluate ourselves with the simple question of what am I building on? What am I using to build? Am I seeking myself and discovering myself or am I honestly and genuinely getting into your word, getting into community, serving in a way that allows me to see you better so that my life is built on a rock? Because the storms are gonna come. You might even be in the storm right now, going through some really rough stuff. In the middle of the storm, that is a fine time to turn to the rock. And maybe that's something even you want to do now. Maybe even now in the midst of the storm, you want to call out to God and say, God, I need you. God, I need you to, to take this sand that I've been building on and I need you to, I need you to convert it to rock. I need your spirit in me. I, I need your words in me. I want your presence with me. God is not a God who runs away when you pray those prayers. God is a God who comes close. And maybe you're here and, and you feel like the worst is over and you don't see any storms on the horizon and so you're just kind of doing your thing or you're consumed with other things. Now is the perfect time for you to start to build because the hardest storms often come unannounced. Will you build with what matters? Will you build on the only one who is a rock? Will you make him the focus of your run, the focus of your race, the focus of your building. So God, I pray that you would speak to us now. God, that we would build our lives on who you are, that you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name.